Greetings in the name of Jesus, our Savior, this morning as we gather to this special occasion, a special opportunity. Uh, Brother Nelson already referred to the fact that there is more of a specific focus in place this morning for the communion service. It's good to have each of you here. May the Lord minister to each of our needs and may we be able to truly embrace, embody, and testify of the, song, the words of that hymn we've just sung. It's interesting how God works, God leads. And as I pondered what to share this morning for the message, I was sometime at coming to a, a decision on that, but I'd like to challenge our thinking this morning as we think of this time of observing communion, the memorial of the death and suffering of our Savior, the shedding of his blood, and we remember that, I invite you to the following passage that Brother Evan shared from in John 1. I want to look at some of the words of John the Baptist when he challenged those around him to behold the Lamb. He set Christ forth. Behold the Lamb. I'd like to read a number of these verses. There's, uh, I think we'll begin in, in verse 19. And um, then use verse 29 for our message text this morning. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as, saith, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they, which were, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, 
upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Probably that word behold is something that you didn't use yesterday. Maybe you did. What does it mean to behold this morning? Behold the Lamb. It's a word that has quite significantly diminished in its usage. But it is one of drawing attention to, to bring into focus something that is unexpected. Behold, something is wonderful to behold, to, to fix our gaze on, to maintain. Um, and that is somewhat the focus of it in the, the Old English and the German um, a compound word there. But this morning, what does it mean for you and I to behold the Lamb? For us to be fascinated, to be drawn to something, to be focused upon something, it needs to have some significance to us, does it not? Some significant value, some significant danger, some significant implication. But John here says, Behold the Lamb of God. That taketh, which taketh away the sin of the world. So this morning as we look in the scriptures, I'd like us to, to behold the Lamb of God and to note the context of the result of that. When we think of what we're beholding, we're reminded that it is of God. And we've already read in these verses here in John 1 that John the Baptist was clearly directed as to who the Messiah would be. He didn't know who it would be, but he was directed in his manifestation. He, he refers to that here in the fact that, um, which verse is it? Um, in verse 31, he says, And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And so it was a miraculous thing that God was able to work in the lives of those situations and in John the Baptist's life and ministry as a prophet and Introducing and manifesting the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So his concluding statement there denotes a tremendous value on what it means to behold the Lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. And as we are gathered here this morning anticipating observing the Holy Communion together as a memorial of Christ's suffering and death that takes away the sin of the world. 
I trust you find it a uh, awe-inspiring, worshipful experience. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to look at, intersperse a few Old Testament passages here. <clears throat> when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, one who God sent forth, set forth, and sustained in his work and journey here among us as the Savior. Isaiah 40, I'd like to read verses 3 through 11. Now, you might think, well, that's more than what I want to cover here, but I'd like you to think about, I was going to read just verses 3 through 5, I believe. <clears throat> but um, think about what the effect of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world has upon this whole scenario, this whole backdrop, this whole view of, of life as we know it in light of the work of salvation through our Savior this morning. Verse 3 of chapter 40. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. In those several verses there, we see the word Lord used, what, three times? In your Bibles, is it capitalized? Is that word fully capitalized? It may be in some. I was disappointed to see in mine, this Bible, it's not. But when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, our eternal, almighty, everlasting Father, the one who sent the Lamb, the Lamb of God, is the one that it speaks of here. Jehovah. In the Spanish, it's not even transliterated to Lord or translated differently. It just uses Jehovah. And, and that is an all-encompassing, the self-existent one, the one who answers to no one, but he is high and holy. And as Isaiah said, his train filled the temple. Now I'd like to read on down verse 6 and following. The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the good, goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the, gra the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up on the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. 
Are you one of those lambs this morning? Are we? Do we know the sense of his care, the touch of his hand, the sustaining of his arm? I've often pondered verses 4 and 5, 4 in particular. It's quite a descriptive verse. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. But you know when we behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world does it not so much raise up the valleys of our lives does it not so much, and I was impressed in that one, I believe the last hymn we talked, we sang together talked about pouring contempt on all of our pride. When things are going well, when we think we've accomplished something, it's so easy to feel like that mountain's pretty high. And yet in Christ, it's all for his glory, all for his praise. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. He is our traveling companion. He's not only our suffering Savior. That concept carries on through the words of Isaiah here, down through there. That shepherding impact of not only saving, but that shepherding, that wonder of his work in our lives. I'd like to move along now back to the Gospel of John again. Now if you noticed there, if you were listening carefully to Evans sharing in the earlier part of John 1, you would have noticed that <clears throat> he makes several references as far as his uh, message of announcement In verse 15, we read these words, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He was before me. Behold the Lamb of God, the Almighty One, the ever-present One, we can hardly comprehend those terms sometimes. But John was given enlightenment, understanding that the one that he did not know of that would be manifested, that the Spirit of God would rest upon and encompass and empower that he was the one and he said, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And if you don't think there's a large separation there, look further at those words that we read a while ago when John says, I'm not worthy. It's as if he was hardly even felt, should he even dare to go up and untie his shoe? That was the vast expanse. It's amazing to me that God revealed that 
that depth of, of revelation to him in, in Christ's coming. And as we behold the Lamb, can we behold that, extents, that extent of God's working in his life, revealing himself to us through his Son? We see that in verse 15, and we see it also in several other verses. In verse 26 and 27, he refers to it, But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is whose coming after me is preferred before me. There he mentions that comparative clause. And then up in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. What a confession. John, as of yet, at this point, came to see the one that God revealed to him, came to see the Christ came to acknowledge him. In verse 29, we have that reverberating phrase, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the world, taketh away the sin of the world. I want to notice that there is, he does not leave it there. We understand the scriptures speak that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we, we rejoice in that. We also are reminded um, in uh, verse 36, again, we have that reminder of the beholding of the Lamb. Um, and I want to come back to that thought. I was, I was getting one step ahead of myself there. But notice in... His first introduction to the Lamb, he said, Behold. And then again he says it in verse 36, the next day in 35, and then again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And there was something occurred at that point. It says, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. John was so effective, it seems, in his careful declaration and very clear setting forth of who the Christ was, the Lamb of God, who he was, that it wasn't an issue, it seems, that those disciples of John left And they followed Jesus. As we behold the Lamb this morning, they were given direction. We have been given direction, and I trust we are availing ourselves of that instruction, that direction, to make the most of it. And my mind went to that simple one verse, one stanza song in, in your hymn books. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth shall grow strangely dim. 
Is that what's happening as we behold the Lamb this morning? Because of His glory and grace. Our dependence on Him, our relationship with Him, the joy of our salvation in Him, will have all the world to do with what it means to gather here this morning and worship and to somberly, seriously, break the bread and drink of the cup in remembrance of what the Lamb of God has accomplished. We live in a day in a world when it's so easy for even those that consider themselves dedicated Christians to lose sight of the fervency of that relationship. As we look in the world around us, sometimes we, we think, how far can some be far removed from an understanding of knowing what it means to behold the Lamb of God? And I trust it's something that <clears throat> lights a fire in your heart, is on your list of to-do with a burden for each day to, to bear forth the witness of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Can others tell that I can't function without that relationship? That I have no desire to do without that relationship? A current illustration I, would, I will use this morning just heard a, a recent interview of Brother Pablo Yoder there and as he's suffering from cancer and going backwards quite fast. And he was just telling about something that happened there that was a spiritual illustration to him. They had some other folks there and with his sickness he hadn't been able to be out for the last couple of weeks. And he's quite a nature person, most of you know that quite an animal person, and he has a dog, Goliath, Goliath in English, and he hasn't been out with his dog for a while, but one of the people that were there were using Pablo's boots, his boots that he took around the farm with him, and, and when that individual came by Goliath, that dog could just hardly contain himself. He wanted to be with his master. He smelled those boots. He knew those were Pablo's boots. <laughs> and he longed for that relationship that he had been deprived of for a couple of weeks. I trust you can relate to that this morning. I'd like to turn to 1 John chapter 3. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world.
I was going to focus on the last part of verse 5, but as I looked over this passage and preparing, I thought I must needs read more than that. So bear with me. I would like to begin in verse 1. Behold, but it fit. it's so fitting with the subject this morning. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If we do not understand, are not impressed, are not smitten with this love, we are not beholding perhaps the Lamb as we ought. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him was no, and in him is no sin. I wanted to refer to that because when we read in the Old Testament the prophecies, the that which would take away sin, that the typology used of the lamb, the spotless, the free of blemish, that was used to make um, temporary uh, atonement, we see that comparison here in, in Christ's life. It says in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. As I was reflecting on these verses here, I was reminded, if you notice here in verse 4, he uses the word committeth. It's a, a present progressive. It's one that is living in a state of sin, practicing sin. Over in verse 8, we have that same... Um, <clears throat> Same thought comes forth, one that is um, involved in ongoing practice of sin. And for those that are in that, they are in the bondage of Satan. Um, it says he is of the devil, those that practice sin. And likewise, the last part of that verse, verse 8, it struck me again this morning, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. God's desire, his, his love, for God so loved the world. And do we understand that this morning as we behold the Lamb? That his desire, his will for us is that through the work of Christ, man would be loosed from the bondage of sin. Man would be loosed from the bondage of sin. You know, 
Where there is victory, there is joy, there is power. And where there is struggle and, and challenge, we, we understand the blessings of the Lamb in that context, the, the ability to understand the blessing of his uh, work in our life and experience to, to bring us victory over those things that would cause us to, to respond in the flesh, to lash out, to, to allow ourselves to be burdened down from, from those things that God does not want us to be involved with. And so I was just blessed in remembering that in a, as we behold the Lamb, in him is no sin. The spotless lamb without blemish. Let's go back to Leviticus 4. begin reading in verse 32 through 35. Here we have a record of what was required here in response to sin. And, and if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and shall pour out all of the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof, as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed, and it shall be forgiven him. As we look back in the Old Testament and we think on those elements of what God had instituted there in the law and the sacrifice, sacrificial system, I invite you to go to Hebrews. I'd like to read a few passages from Hebrews. We are taught very clearly that the work of Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, that his suffering and sacrifice stands on a level bar none with regard to removing the punishment of sin for man. It was a sacrifice In that sense, and I'm not sure, I'd like to take let's break in here in verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offering and sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So here we have some 
prophetical references to uh, God's plan to, to bring the Savior. And in verse 7, we have that response. Now in verse 8 and above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering ten times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their minds and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. This morning we're reminded of the efficacy of the sacrifice suffering and death of our Lord. <clears throat> His work is complete. And yet it remains for us to avail ourselves of it, to be reminded of it, to remember it, to behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Going back to the first chapter in Hebrews, a few other verses that bring glory to the Savior this morning. Beginning in verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What an expression of which John the Baptist was perhaps Wondering how to explain when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The one who was coming after him but was before him, was preferred before him. The one who the prophet Isaiah said, Make way for the way of the Lord. Make straight your paths. And that message of, of comfort and joy that we see there in the prophecy in that passage. First Peter 1 verses 18 and 19 make a reference to the sacrifice of Christ 
For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was ordained, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Here again, that message of revelation referred to there, the manifestation of the Messiah. There were some other words spoken in the New Testament that perhaps were not necessarily what he planned to say, but the, the scripture has an interesting way of putting it in the Gospel of John chapter 11, verse 49 and following. Cephas there, the high priest, said some things that he probably didn't understand what he said. But listen to these words. And one of them named Cephas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Notice what was spoken of there. It was not just for the Jewish people. It was a revelation that his, his death would be not for them only, but beyond, as John proclaimed it. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the Jews, the world. <clears throat> First John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I trust that you rest in the comfort that these verses bring us, that we have as our Lord and Savior that capable advocate that can present our case based upon the shed blood of his son. That which brings appeasement, that which brings the right relationship before God and uh, is a, a joy to us, each one. I referred earlier in John chapter 3, following the very... Uh, familiar passage of 3.16. But down further in the chapter, we read in uh, verse 36. He writes, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, there's quite a contrast there. 
And so for us this morning, it is a source of joy for us to to walk by faith in the leading of His Spirit. And for us, there is the burden of those that will not acknowledge the Son, do not understand, have not tasted of the goodness of the Lord, knowing that in our daily walk and, and action, there is not only that sacrifice for sin once, that stands, but as we by faith lay hold on it, avail ourselves of it, it brings a blessing that the world does not know. The wrath of God remains. In Revelation and other places, it talks about the Lamb. We talked about beholding the Lamb this morning. Um, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, yet I go there. That was slain. It says here, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. want to look at another passage, but before we go there, I want to challenge myself anew and you as well. When we go through life and we, we observe the diversity in the world around us, we see all of the shapes and sizes and colors that God has created us and, and that we have decided how to live and move and so forth. The work of Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, it says here, redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I find it interesting that <clears throat> where there is a contrite heart and a confidence and a deep trust in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, there is potential for sweet communion just knowing the name of Jesus. Now maybe you say that simplifies it too much, but I, I've prefaced it by saying a contrite heart. Now as we conclude, I'll invite you to Matthew chapter 26. We focus in this morning on our, the privilege we have to be gathered here this morning. John's introduction of the Lamb of God, his challenge to behold him, the one that taketh away the sin of the world. As Christ and the synoptic gospels here gave different descriptions of this account and as it was recorded but here he says it this way in verse 26 and as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink ye all of it 
For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This morning, it is a privilege to gather, to come together, and to rest in our um, the privilege we have of knowing our Savior and committing ourselves to Him and surrender and, and in awe of His work on our behalf. Uh, 